Hey, welcome back everybody. Happy 2022. This is Ken and this is Christ View versus Worldview, where you need to get the right perspective, and I do too, from the way we're used to looking at things through the eyes of the world around us to the unseen kingdom of Almighty God who is going to last forever and ever while these things will pass away. And we can't truly see how things really are and how they really operate in the world and, and what the motives behind things are and what truth is if we're looking at the world rather than looking at the lens of scripture, which was before all and will last beyond all. Forgive me for such a late recording because I've been sick, my wife's been sick, and I've been wanting to do this for a while. I've had it ready, just didn't want to do it because I didn't want a lot of sniffling and sneezing and coughing, although there may be a little bit of that anyway, I'm sorry. <clears throat> but I wanted to get down to the word. You can't put it off forever, and you don't want to put it off. There's a familiar scripture I'm going to look at today that I've even looked at and even, even preached about myself before, but from a slightly different angle. It doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the principle. It doesn't change the application. It just changes um, with the... Um, with the scenario, I guess you could say, or the circumstances. But you'll see what I mean when we get into it. The Lord wants to talk to us, me and you both. This is how it started with me, and I just want to share it with you. <coughs> Excuse me. About forgiveness. I know we've heard about this a lot. I know we've probably read about it a lot. I know we've probably struggled with it a lot. Let the, Lord, let the word of the Lord speak to us both about this. Now, one thing you need to understand is that the truest sense of the word forgiveness in terms of a definition is called or defined as the releasing of a debt. Okay? At the very heart of forgiveness, there is no need for forgiveness is there, if there is no debt incurred by someone. Now by that I don't necessarily mean monetarily, I mean by an offense or by a sin against Almighty God or a transgression of his law, something like that. Okay? But in order to forgive, the one that forgives has to be willing to release that debt that the other person has towards him or her. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's look at it this way. Today, if you owned, if you owed money towards a purchase that you couldn't pay off, at least not all at once, you'd probably get a loan or put it on a credit card. That incurs a debt to you that you must now make monthly payments on until you've paid it off. Now the thing is, that sounds all well and good, but the truth is, while this is taking place, from the moment we incur the debt until the moment we pay it off, we're in bondage. Okay, because we still owe something. We're not completely free. We might be comfortable with the arrangements. We might be okay with it. But the truth is we're in bondage. Even if we're able and willing and working monthly towards securing our release from that debt, while we're in debt, we're in bondage. If you still owe two years on your car payment, and the bank were to send you a letter in the mail telling you that they were releasing you 
of that debt. You wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't either. And you'd be overjoyed and you'd tell everybody about it. You'd say, do you know what my bank did for me? With three exclamation points and three question marks, everyone in town would want to switch to that bank. After all, who wants a debt? Of course, today, honestly, our mindset would not be centered on the freedom we were just given. Our minds would already be thinking, probably, about what else we could now purchase, most likely incurring a new debt. See, we're used to being in bondage. And we don't seem to mind it, because one, we don't realize it, but number two, because as long as we can manage it or afford it or live with it, okay, it's what we've gotten used to, and we are okay with that. Okay, it's because what we bought that puts us in debt is more pleasing to us than our freedom. Let me say that again. We're used to being in bondage and we don't seem to mind it as long as we can manage it or live with it. Because what we've bought that put us in debt is actually, really, honestly, genuinely more pleasing to us than our freedom. And we put ourselves in bondage, not someone else. So we still feel in control, which makes us feel free. That's worth repeating too, okay? If you think about it, it's very, very true. We put ourselves in bondage, not someone else. So in so doing, we still feel in control, and that control, even if we're actually in bondage, makes us feel free. Does that make sense? Does that resonate with any of you? Okay, so it's like, we want to be free. We want to be able to fr be free to, to spend the money that we have, that God's given us, that our work has provided to us, any way we see fit. And if you've been in a position of being in a large debt and paying it off, you, you know what freedom means, okay? So you understand that you are in bondage when you have a debt. And the more debt you have, the bigger the bondage. But the secret is, the thing is, is that it, it, it makes us feel like we're in control and that makes us feel free I hope you understand that I really can't say any more succinctly than that but it has to resonate within your heart so evidently you know our freedom or our lack of debt same thing is of little value to us we can't blame that on anyone else we're not victims we are responsible for that now listen to this the reality the reality is that we wrongly equate freedom with control. That's worth repeating too, okay, in large capital letters and bold. The reality is that we wrongly equate freedom with control. That means as long as we're in control and whatever decisions we make, whatever the repercussions are, whatever the consequences are, that makes us feel free because we're the ones in control. We're the ones making the decisions. Yeah, but those consequences, there's consequences to those decisions. That's where sin comes from. And we can't blame that on anybody else. And on the experiential side, that means as far as our experiences go, the ones who seem to have the most control 
okay? The ones we look up to, the movie stars, the rich people, the billionaires, the tech giants, you know, all these people. The ones we often, and, and the ones we pattern our lives after, to some degree, they're actually the ones, many times, who are in the most bondage. They seem to have freedom because they've got this money and they can buy this and they can buy that or they're in debt. they got huge cars, mansions, you know, whatever we think we would like to have. They're actually in bondage. Even if they don't have a debt, they're actually in bondage. Now, let's go to the scripture, okay? Matthew 18, 21 through 35. The Lord Jesus tells Peter and the disciples a parable about forgiveness, the releasing of a debt. Let's read it together. It says, Then Peter came up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often, if my brother sins against me, should I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter probably thought he'd been quite generous in saying that. And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but seventy times, seven times. Therefore, Jesus continues, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts. That means to reckon debts. That means to look at you and say, what do you owe me? How are you going to pay me back? He wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, when I first read that, many times, I didn't know what it was. I skimmed right over it. I didn't think it was important. I just thought it was some monetary amount. Well, I did a study on this two or three or four years ago, and it's quite significant, actually. I could break it all down mathematically, but with my modern-day calculations about how much people get paid for minimum wage and how many hours a day they work and how many days a week they work and all that, it actually comes out to $6,240,000,000. So when this king, Jesus said, which is what the kingdom of heaven is like, he says, the king wants to settle accounts. So when he begins to settle one man was brought to him who owed him $6,240,000,000. And then scripture says, and since he could not pay, which is a good way of putting it because obviously he can't, his master ordered him to be sold <clears throat> with his wife and his children and everything that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him and said, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And of course, the master was like, yeah, right. Yeah, where are you going to come up with this kind of money? So it says, <clears throat> um, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. He says, and out of pity for him, in other words, there's no way you can pay me back this amount. So out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And that, by the way, of comparison, is $10,000. So the master gives this guy $6,240,000,000 worth of debt and writes it off out of his pity and mercy. And when the same guy goes out, he finds somebody that owes him $10,000. I mean, what's that compared to all that other money? And it says, he seized him, 
and began to choke him. And he said, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him and said, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him, delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And Jesus finishes by saying, So also my heavenly Father will do to you, to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So to forgive, as we're commanded to do, is to release someone from the debt they have incurred against us. <clears throat> Excuse me. A debt is something you owe because you can only pay it in part or you can't pay it at all. In this case, the wicked servant's debt was insurmountable, was so large, no amount of work or pay or time would ever erase that debt. <clears throat> Excuse me again. The master was owed quite a significant amount of money, yet he chose to erase the debt completely. Why? A couple of reasons. One, because it was not his desire to see his servant remain in bondage forever due to his inability to pay his self-incurred debt. Two, because his servant pleaded it had been the new norm for him for his foreseeable future, maybe even his entire, entire life. And it became normal and somewhat comfortable for him to just accept it. But now, the thought of going to prison over it was frightening and beyond acceptable to him. This agitated and stirred and shook and rattled him enough to thoroughly accept and acknowledge and confess his debt-incurring actions to his master, while his lord was fully aware of what was owed him the entire time. After all, the beginning of the parable said it was the reckoning or the settling of accounts that led to all of this anyway. So the servant, realizing his great need and taking heartfelt and vocal responsibility for his indebtedness, also realized his need for mercy and forgiveness. He by and at his master's hand, received both. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. But he received it. How then, under such dire yet wonderful circumstances, could he not release the debt someone had incurred against him and to a much, much, much smaller degree? No wonder he was labeled wicked. If you incurred a debt to me, you owe me money, and you can't repay it. Okay, so our arrangement is I give you a place to stay, my house, clothes to wear, food to eat, a bath 
to have daily access to. And the work that you do for me at an agreed upon rate in order to eradicate what you owe, that money will not be paid directly to you, but will be used by me to be applied to your account until it's settled. Okay, that's what slavery in the Bible is. It's not slavery like we think of it today. It's servanthood. It's you incur a debt, you can't pay it off, so you have to become a servant of someone else <clears throat> and do work for them while you work towards releasing your own debt. But you're not really releasing it. You're working for someone else. They're giving you these wonderful arrangements to be able to pay it off instead of throwing you in jail. So once your account is settled, if you've worked it out long enough and you've paid it all off, then you're free to go. But let me say this again, okay? You incurred a debt to me. I didn't do it to you. You incurred a debt to me. You owe me money and you can't repay it. I give you a place to stay, clothes to wear, food, a bath, etc. And the work that you're doing for me at an agreed upon rate between me and you, we both thought about it, agreed about it, talked about it, in order to eradicate what you owe, that money will not be paid directly to you, but will be used by me. Did I actually profit or gain anything by having you work essentially for free because I don't pay you? You probably think that from your point of view, but no, no. Actually, I lost out. Yes, I gained your labor, but the money I would have paid you did not go into my pocket or wallet or bank account. It went into your bank account to pay off your debt that you owed me. So, you were paid from your labor to pay off your debt. I didn't gain anything. You worked. Let me take the money. But it wasn't for me. It was used to pay what you already owed me. It wasn't free labor. You did get paid. I got your labor, but I paid for it because it was applied to your account, the debt that you incurred towards me, the money that you really owed me from the beginning. And this is really at the heart of this <clears throat> this um, podcast because it's all about getting the right perspective. And once you see it from God's perspective, not from the worldly perspective or from our selfish perspective, we see what things really are like, and that's what we need to do. That's how we need to go through life. So this is a perfect example. So, your debt is settled. What about me? I released your debt. I released you from your bondage, from your obligation. Now, from a banking or a mathematical or even a business standpoint especially, that's foolish. It leaves me in the negative. But from a relational or a redemptive or a restorative mindset and heart set, it does profit me. It does afford me gain if that's my goal. Meaning, if my goal is to restore our relationship to what it's supposed to be, and it is relational, then I consider that profit because I love you, or because there's, you're a family member, or you're someone I care about, or you're a brother in the Lord. Remember, Peter, uh, Peter was the one that said, how many times should my brother forgive uh, sin against me, and I forgive him? And Jesus said, 70 times 7. <clears throat> we'll talk about that in a minute, too. So if it's strictly monetary, I've lost out. You incurred a debt towards me. 
you worked for it. I used the money that you worked for, not for my own purposes, but to put in your bank account so that you could pay off what you owe me to begin with. So, you know, I don't gain anything from that. As far as that's concerned, it's foolish. It's, you know, we're looking at it from a business standpoint. I come out even at best, negative at the worst. So, I mean, it's, it's a foolish thing in the eyes of the world. But if my goal is to restore the relationship, if it's to redeem our relationship, it's, if it's to restore our relationship, and that's what God and Jesus versus us is all about, brothers and sisters, then it does profit me something. It does afford me gain because that is my goal. And according to Jesus, it should be our goal. One, because it demonstrates the love we're supposed to have for each other and for him. And two, it's us living out the example we see in his life and earthly ministry before others. This is not only authentic Christianity, but it glorifies the Christ of Christianity. Now, I've often wondered about this, and I think it's the perfect time to talk about it. Jesus uses this illustration as a means to teach on the subject and respond to Peter's question, Lord, how often, if my brother sins against me, should I forgive him? Does this word brother here mean family member, as in his sibling Andrew? It could. I mean, you know how families and brothers can be, right? Does it, as I pondered, mean a neighbor like his fellow man? No one would argue, biblically or otherwise, that we're to forgive anyone and everyone, that we would like to be forgiven. Most people would probably walk away from this passage with that common understanding. But what if... What if it means brother as in another believer? Now, let's just say this is not just a male thing, okay? But in case you didn't know, in Hebrew culture, and as I've learned with my wife, in Hispanic culture and probably others, when there are mixed groups of people of any size, men and women, they're collectively referred to as brothers, Okay, if there's just girls, they call them sisters. If they're just men, they call them brothers. But there's girls and boys or men and women together, they call them brothers. Hebrew is the same way. Spanish is the same way. So it's not just a male thing. What if it means brother, as in a believer? <clears throat> when we look in the concordance, or the lexicon, men and women, excuse me, the word brother, as used here in verses 15 and 21 and elsewhere, is the Greek word adelphos. Okay, it's number 80 in the concordance if you want to look it up for verification. This is how it's described. Quote, a brother, member of the same religious community, especially a fellow Christian. Unquote. So, my suspicion, which now I realize really the Holy Spirit nudging me to know what it meant, was correct. It's not just a friend or a neighbor. It's not just a brother or sister familiarly speaking. It's a brother or sister in the Lord that Peter's talking about. Now, it doesn't take away or from the need to forgive as well as be forgiven. Jews and Gentiles, believers and unbelievers both. But it does tell us something about true, genuine, love-motivated forgiveness. And there's reason it's not just a feeling or emotion. Yet it's, a, it's rather a deliberate, intentional, purposeful choice to forgive. And it's important 
to, from now on, from now on, bear in mind and keep in mind this word. Whenever you hear, you hear the word forgiveness, wherever you hear it, on Christian radio or something secular, whatever. When you hear the word forgiveness, I want you to think release a debt, releasing of a debt. In several translations of the Bible, <clears throat> the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, you're familiar with that maybe, about the love chapter, maybe many people call it, verse 5 says this, Love keeps no record of wrongs. And some of them translate it this way, Love keeps no account of wrongs. And in this case, that's pretty good because we're settling accounts, is what this passage is all about. So this is a crucial understanding if we're to grasp God's redemptive salvational agape love towards us but it's equally crucial for us as Jesus instructed us plainly in the parable that we will be forgiven only to the degree in which we are saved. Matthew chapter 18 is about forgiveness it's explained that we have a sin debt towards Almighty God, and it needs to be released since we're unable, like the, like the wicked servant, to repay it. And we have debts towards one another that we, in like manner, need to release them from, even if they don't seem to want to be released, or don't acknowledge that they have a debt towards us. Jesus paid our insurmountable sin debt on the cross with his holy blood Yet how many refuse to care or even acknowledge their indebtedness to him? That's why the word says many will enter through the wide gate that leads to destruction. If we don't forgive, it's because we're holding on to that debt. And that's easy to do. When we want something, okay, when we when we feel like we've been wronged, I mean, we, we want justice we call it okay we want vengeance okay we like to hold on to that and get bitter and feel bad about it until somebody pays us back just like the wicked servant did with his fellow servant God says no that's not the way I forgave you a whopping debt even if you haven't received it even if you don't acknowledge that you need it and you may never even take hold of it. But I've done what's necessary to release you from that debt, that $6,240,000,000, and you won't release $10,000 worth of debt that someone has incurred towards you. Monetarily speaking, for our example. Okay, we're holding on to that. If we don't, if we don't forgive, it's because we're not releasing the debt. And if we're not releasing it, we're holding on to it holding it over somebody's head or lording it over them. So we are keeping a record of wrongs, which we're not supposed to do. We are demanding, at least in our hearts, that they pay it back, that they settle their account with us. And that's not only rebellious towards what the Father tells us we've got to do in releasing others their debts, as we want ours released, the Lord's Prayer tells us, but it makes us bitter and hard-hearted, and it defiles us. And if it goes on for long, and we, resi we resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we don't do anything about it, our conscience just becomes seared, and we become very hard, cold individuals. 
forgiving, releasing of debts, as we're called to do, and being forgiven, which many of us have been, either by people or by, by Almighty God, is a beautiful act, because oftentimes the offenders don't want to be pardoned. How do you set someone free that doesn't want to be set free? It's also beautiful in that it prohibits us from being enslaved to a heart and mind that insist on being repaid. What would we become if we were to demand payment or restitution or justice or even vengeance from someone who would never or could never repay us? How would that be beneficial? How would that profit us? How would that fulfill Christ Jesus' command to love? If we're waiting for the offender to ask for mercy in order for us to extend it so that we can feel justified in our compassion and honestly lord it over them, we will become frustrated and angry. So I know a lot of people have issues with anger. Sometimes they're bouts of anger. Sometimes they think, oh, I'm, I'm good. I don't, have, I don't have that problem. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this huge eruption of anger will come out. We're like, where did that come from? You know, I can understand being a little bit mad, but where did all that come from? Okay, well, there's some deep-seatedness about that. It probably goes back to the fact that we need to forgive. We're holding on to a debt that we should be releasing. By your decision to forgive someone from your heart, you have obeyed the command. You've released the debt owed you, and you are free. Your freedom should not be contingent upon the offending person's actions or inactions. Jesus Christ, the King of the universe over all created things, has done what is necessary to release us from our debts by his voluntary and obedient death, propitiation, which is God's anger towards him taken out instead of us. Burial and powerful resurrection. No one else has ever done this. The decision was made. The work was done. The release was effected whether we ever acknowledged our guilt, asked for mercy, or received our pardon in the forgiveness and eradication of our debt. Eradication of our debt. <clears throat> what I mean is, Jesus made the decision that he was going to do it. He did the work in order to make it possible. He, he effected that release for us. But if we don't acknowledge our guilt and ask for mercy or receive the pardon and the forgiveness of, and ratification of our sin debts towards him, should that ensnare or encumber Almighty God in any way. In other words, if he's done the work and he's made the decision out of love to do something for us that we could never, ever, ever repay just because we don't acknowledge the guilt and we got in any way just because we don't receive it. No. And that's not even possible. Are we to forgive? Are we to release others of their debts to us? Yes. And if we, like Peter, should ever ponder in our minds and hearts what he honestly asked aloud in the company of other people, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? How many times should I release him from his debt or debts against me? Seven times? 
No. The Lord of heaven and earth says to him and to us, you are not to forgive only seven times, but seventy times seven times. Remember, love keeps no record or account of wrongs. The Apostle Paul tells us this by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we do keep an account of wrongs, if we do hold on to the debt, we walk in the flesh and not in the Spirit. Further, who in the world will listen to us as Christians? Who will watch us? Who will emulate us? As all we will be and sound like to others is, another part of 1 Corinthians 13, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Imagine, if you were part of a flash band that assembled without notice or warning in a mall, and you wanted all the shoppers milling around you to stop and pay attention to what you were saying or playing or singing or doing, whatever, would they stop and take notice? Would they hear and listen and receive and then go out and do it? Or would they cover their ears because we're noisy gongs and clanging cymbals devoid of melody and harmony and rhythm and beauty? I ask myself this question too, trust me. Am I holding on to someone's debt against me, however small? And if so, for how long? Or am I releasing him or her from that debt? Am I extending grace as I have had grace extended to me by Jesus. And here's another thought the Holy Spirit just this moment, just this moment put in my heart and mind. <clears throat> it's excellent. How small or large is the debt, actually? It may be small, but like accrued interest on an unpaid loan increases the amount owed over time and takes longer to pay off, our perception of an unwillingness to release the debt, forgive the offense from the heart, may warp our accounting system and make it feel and seem bigger than it really is. Praise God. Just like in the parable in Matthew 18 says in verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now here's a natural question. How can you repay a debt if you're in prison and you can't work and you have no source of income? You're going to be in prison forever. We need to be willing to forgive, to release a debt, because love and relational restoration demands it. But also, because the other person, as offender towards us, and we as sinners towards Jesus Christ, may be temporarily or permanently unwilling to want to be released from that debt. <clears throat> Excuse me. Just as Second Peter, verse chapter three, verse nine, tells us, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise regarding salvation, as some count slowness, but is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, that all should ask for forgiveness, that all should be released from their debts. That unwillingness will not keep the Lord and those who do genuinely see their mountain of growing sin dead desperately want to be released from their offense against the Almighty, by the Almighty, from having joy and peace and love forevermore in heaven. We want and need to release our debtors 
as we want and need to be released. Again, look at the Lord's Prayer. From our debts, Christ, by his grace, paved the way for us to be released from what we've done to him. But many will not, by faith, receive it. We, too, must affect others' release of their offenses and debts against us, whether they ever take us up on it or not. We all, every last one of us that make up the human race, have come into this world and even been conceived in sin. Before we even did anything sinful, Scripture tells us we have a sinful essence. We have a sinful nature. <clears throat> There's a foundational sinfulness to us before we even build upon that foundation with more sin. So we don't start out with a clean slate, like many will tell you. We are marred and blemished even before the umbilical cord is snipped. And from this point on, we add sin upon sin, iniquity upon iniquity, and transgression upon transgression. We pile up the scales on the wrong side. And nothing we can do can take it away or counterbalance those scales. We will always be found lacking. And when the king decides it's time for us to leave this world, we will face judgment. It will be the time for us to have our accounts settled. Our time on earth will be over and our opportunities for the releasing of our debts and the releasing of others towards us will have passed. All of them. We, like the wicked servant, will find ourselves with the inability to pay him back for even a minuscule amount of a lifetime of sin built upon a foundation of sin. He will have no choice in his justice and righteousness and equity and holiness but to look at the evidence of a life lived and see the guilt laid before him. Now, he loves us with an overwhelming, selfless, enduring, steadfast, faithful, and eternal love. He left his holy mountain, came to earth, was born to us, grew up among us, lived among us, willingly submitted to our limited authority, gave himself and his rights up for us, left us examples on how to live, taught us how to live, offered himself to die in our place for our sins and offenses he did not commit. He was beaten and whipped mercilessly to the point where Isaiah says he was unrecognizable, not just as a <clears throat> as Jesus, but as a man, as a human being. He allowed himself to be mocked, spit upon, nailed to a cross publicly, in front of all, in between two actual sinners, suffered in excruciating pain, and took the full force and weight of our sin upon himself, and took the full wrath of God, that's the propitiation we talked about, took the full wrath of God against sin upon himself. Not just your insurmountable sin, which is in itself inconceivable, and mine as well, but every single person who has ever been a living soul from the very first of his creation, Adam and Eve, until the last. We must be willing, unlike the wicked servant, to forgive our fellow servants their far smaller debts to us, release those minuscule debts. 
as our Master has made forgiveness available to us who have an insurmountable amount of indebtedness on the books against Him. Let us be convicted, not condemned, of our sinfulness. That conviction is meant, yes, to show us our guilt, but we're not to run and hide in shame, as is our usual first response. We are to turn to Him and away from any and all unrighteousness now and forever and receive the forgiveness, the releasing of our debts for temporary freedom in this earthly life and, more importantly, in full anticipation and expectancy and assurance in the eternal life to come. That's the hope of glory for the Christian. But it's available to everyone should they become Christians. If not, all seriousness, all seriousness here. If not, our debts are still on the books. Our debts are still on our account. And like the wicked servant yet again, since we are unable and apparently unwilling to pay, we will be turned over to the jailers. And by the way, many Bible notes refer to the fact that the word jailer also means torturer. And this is certainly what hell and Satan are about. Jesus Christ has made a release available for all we have committed against him. And he tells us we must make a release available for others for all they have committed against us. That which we sow, we shall reap. If we sow freedom, love, and peace, we will reap freedom and love and peace. If we sow bitterness, hardness of heart, anger, unforgiveness, holding on to a debt, keeping a record of wrongs, we will reap the same for ourselves. May this beautiful truth, yet also a warning and a rebuke, find its way, seep its way, into every crevice of your heart and soul and mind until his word has its way. May he richly bless you along the way. Bye for now, brothers and sisters and friends, in Christ's amazing love. Until next time.